Blog Talk Radio. Davies Late Night.
having some problems with our audio, but it's going on and on and on. I love that song. Welcome back to the 90s Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. I did want to start the show with Moon River, but Cherry Supplier just seemed like the right song to kick off this show. Uh, next month, my team and I will be premiere the 8th Annual Diabetes Mystery Podcast entitled Kill Me, Madam. That's our one-hour radio drama that we do annually. It gives my team and I a chance to pretend like we're actors and educate you, the listener, in a new way about <laughs> diabetes and self-care. So I thought it would be fun to figure out, to find out more about the process of storytelling. And so I called my friend. He's the founder, founding director of the New York University's Pitch School of the Arts Department of Drama's News Studio at Broadway to tell us more about the process involved of bringing some of our favorite characters and stories of life on stage and screen. Please welcome Kent Skash. Hi, Kent. Hello. How, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for joining us. This is such a thrill. Uh, you and I know each other from uh, way back in the day when I actually worked in regional theater in San Francisco, and you were in uh, a show called Dinner at Eight. Yes, and also in a show called Miss Evers Boys. Right, and that that's actually, I'm glad you put that show up, because uh, that show really talks about another health issue that was going on in the country uh, that really had a strong significance in educating the audience about what was going on at that time. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that before we talk more about uh, diabetes and how you directed Feel Magnolias? Sure. Uh, Miss Evers' Boys is a play that is about, uh, it's a fictionalized account of the Tuskegee syphilis study, uh, which many people may know was a study um, where uh, several uh, sharecroppers and people who lived in Tuskegee, Alabama, were brought into uh, the Tuskegee Institute and Hospital by a woman named Nurse Rivers, uh, and they were given placebos instead of uh, penicillin so they could study the effects of syphilis on uh, black men, and it was uh, an appalling moment in uh, the United States medical history, and it really typifies why so many people in the African-American community have, why so many of us have a mistrust uh, towards uh, organized medicine and towards doctors, because these men were just lied to, and many of them, you know, were left with debilitating illnesses and difficulties. And, uh, you know, it's a really wonderful play, and it points out the moral obligation that uh, doctors and healthcare practitioners have to always share honest information, to always be transparent, and to do no harm, you know, to do no harm. And so the play really dramatizes that beautifully. Um, and I was, I was, so happy, was very happy to be a part of it. You capture that character. I mean, you know, obviously, how did, how did you bring that? I think a lot of people, when they see these movies about diabetes, and this applies to what you're talking about, like they wonder how the actor like Julia Roberts brings it to life, what the process is for someone who would be, when they find out the news, what, what happened to Tuskegee, would be outraged, uh, disgusted. How do, you, how, do you, how do you make that ring true? Well, I think, like, you know, acting of any kind is at its best when it's most truthful and when it's 
uh, when it's grounded in something real. So both in Miss Evers' Boys and in when I worked on Steel Magnolias, you know, we did do some research into what it means to have certain illnesses, how they manifest themselves, what the circumstances, and then you have to look at what the circumstances are that have been provided by the playwright. And that's what some, or the screenwriter, whoever it is. And sometimes that's what gets tricky because uh, we know that illnesses and medical challenges uh, happening in plays and movies are often used because they are dramatic and they can put, you know, a character that you care a lot about and that you love in jeopardy. And that, of course, keeps the audience interested and compelled and invested. And in the best of these circumstances, and what we tried to do in Miss Evers Boys is really look at the science, look at what the, um, what, how the disease would manifest itself if it went untreated in, these, in each of these men. And some of that is provided by the playwright because the man who wrote, David Felchew, who wrote Miss Evers Boys is a physician. It's the only play that he ever wrote. He spent his whole life working in medicine as a physician. And it was actually when he found out about the Tuskegee syphilis study that he decided to write the play, try to write a play about it, because he wanted people to know more about this moment in American history. Um, and in and I read often, that, Robert, and wait, and I read that the um, screenwriter for Steel Magnolias, who's also the playwright, Robert Harling, this is based on a true uh, story about his sister who died of complications right. due to diabetes after uh, giving birth. And he was in, he was kind of grieving. He had never written a show before, and right. that's what kind of inspired him to create this. Yes, that's, and, and that's true. Robert Harling wrote Steel Magnolias out of, in, in some ways, to process his grief around the loss of his sister and also to, I think, celebrate, you know, celebrate her life and celebrate her as a life force and, and, you know, to be so that he could find some ways of moving on. But I think when we worked on Steel Magnolias, it was in Atlanta for a company called True Colors Theater Company uh, was where I directed it. And it was a, a, a multicultural cast. So it was a, a shop that was owned, Truvy, the woman who owned the shop, was, was African-American. Um, and, but uh, Maylin and Shelby were, were white. And so, but it was, this was the shop in the town, and everybody came to uh, that shop to have their hair done. And, you know, what we did was talk even amongst ourselves in the cast uh, with, uh, about diabetes because there were actresses in the show who uh, had diabetes. And so they were able to, you know, it's always good to build a piece of theater on the people that you have in the room. So they brought a lot of their own personal experience, a lot of their own understanding and recognition about the illness. The woman who played Shelby did not, was not diabetic. Um, but there were type 1 diabetics in the production. And so they were really able to give me an enormous amount of firsthand 
uh, information about their experiences, about, you know, not only about just the technical, you know, this is what happens to you, these are some of the things that you feel, but also they could really talk about how they felt it had impacted them as women, as adults, as as how it impacted how they moved through their lives. Um, and that was really eye-opening and informative for me, and we tried to put as much of that truth and as many of those details uh, as, into the production as we possibly could. But that's really where it starts. You want to start with facts. And then you have to try to marry the facts and the medical information and the scientific information as truthfully as possible to whatever the playwright has crafted. And sometimes they make it much more dramatic than it actually might be. And then you have to, you know, you really have to try to balance the two because you have to be, you know, you have to be true to what the playwright intends but you also want to be true and respectful so that anybody who has diabetes or any illness that you're portraying on stage, you want, you want people who have it to be able to recognize the truth in it, that it hasn't been made fun of, that it's not being used cheaply or in any way that's disparaging, but that it's really being examined as part of the human experience as honestly and as respectfully as possible, which doesn't always happen, especially in the movies. But well, you know what's interesting for. is like so many, uh, Ken, so many people have seen Steel Magnolias, whether on stage or on screen, and they don't even realize it has anything to do with diabetes, which I think is fascinating, too, to hear how much work goes into it because uh, we've shown it, and Patricia will testify a little bit later, shown it at several outreach events, and some people in the audience, there's always a mixed bag that uh, a lot of women living with type 1 diabetes specifically do not like that depiction, and then there's other people in the crowd who didn't even realize that had anything to do with diabetes. The thing I want to ask you, though, about um, is about the depiction of the mother-daughter relationship, because coming up we'll be talking about, uh, talking with Pamela Hayward, who is a mother of daughters living with type 1, and I think that is something that really is a cornerstone of why this keeps uh, this particular play or movie stays in people's hearts. It's a lot about the whole mother-daughter relationship Malin and Shelby have. How is, how is mm-hmm. that for you to work on that aspect of the show? Well, it was, uh, it was uh, one of, I think, one of our favorite aspects of the play because, you know, Mother-daughter, father-son, parent-child relationships are so, you know, those, those are the longest relationships of our lives. Of every, and that's true of every human being, which is why so many people write about those relationships. Because even if a parent dies or if a child dies, they stay with you. Those relationships stay with you forever. You never forget. And so I think what was one of the things that's wonderful about the show, about Steel Magnolias and and that relationship, is that there is so much love in the relationship. There is so much care. Now, there's contentiousness sometimes, too, as there is in any, you know, 
healthy relationship. Not everybody's lovely all the time, you know, and I think that's one of the things that he really gets so right in the play is the sense of relationship. Um, And, you know, it's also true that in most dramas, I mean, if you go all the way back to the Greeks and Oedipus, you know, the, the hero always ends up growing up to kill off the parent metaphorically so that they can become their authentic self. And Shelby really wants to become uh, a fully grown, fully adult, mature, vibrant, robust, sensual, sexual woman. She wants to be all the way live, 100% woman. And her mom has real concerns around that and is constantly trying to do what parents often do, which is protect. And, of course, what most parents also know is that Ultimately, you can't protect a child from the world. You can't, you know, we can't. We can only be there for them regardless of what happens. And all of that, I think, has been really beautifully depicted in the play, and I think it's one of the reasons why, um, you know, it's become universal, is that, you know, he created characters that people can see either themselves or people they know they can recognize the characters in those play in the play and they feel close to those characters, you know, which is why Shelby's what, you know, her eventual dramatic arc is so powerful and has so much meaning to audiences. Um, Because by that time you're deeply invested both in Shelby and in her mother. So it's really great playwriting. All right, so last question before we let you go. You know, there's been so much talk in Hollywood about who should and who should not be, uh, should not play a specific role in film or stage. And I recently mm-hmm. read that Halle Berry turned down the opportunity to play a transgender man in the forthcoming film because she was facing backlash online. You're, you teach, so many students are going into acting, you're a director. How, do, how is this playing out? Do you think, you know, we're going to a place where, if the actress doesn't have diabetes, she won't be considered for the part of Shelby, or do you think the doors are opening and we'll continue to see more uh, different types of casting like you just did in your production of Steel Magnolias? Uh, I think it's some of both. I think the thing that we have to acknowledge is that it's never really been a level playing field. The in show business, in the world, it's never really been a level playing field. For a great deal of the past several centuries, the decision makers and the taste makers have all been straight white men or people who were masquerading as straight white men. And now, and so, a lot of the stories that were are being told are the versions of people's lives that people think straight white men want to see or, you know, that that power structure has wanted to see or that has been comfortable with, you know, endless images of black people only in slavery. Well, yes, it's incredibly important part of world history and it should not be slighted or negated in any way, but, Black lives are so rich and complex, and we are many, 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 many 
many things. Our lives are not all about suffering. There's great joy. There is great celebration. There is great achievement. There's extraordinary intelligence. There's, there's a lot. The, the myriad of life experience for black people is, is ex- extraordinary. And until Hollywood and show business and the industry more fully embrace ev- telling everyone's story, and letting the people who have lived the story be responsible for the telling of the story. There has to be more of that. I understand why people are interested in doing things that are really different from them. You know, I understand the acting impulse of Halle Berry maybe wanting to play this trans man. I also think there's a moment where we all have to say, I've said in my own career, scripts, have come to me, I said to a playwright last year, sent me a brilliant adaptation of a Toni Morrison uh, novel that was going to be on stage. It had been done once before, and she was. they were very interested in my doing it. And I said, I don't think I'm the right person to do it. This should be directed by an African-American female because that's really the perspective and the worldview of it. And God knows I've been around a long time. I've had a lot of great opportunities. But I think part of wisdom is also knowing when maybe you should step aside and let someone else tell the story, that maybe someone else is more right to tell a story or to be in a, in a role especially if it's an underrepresented community, a community that hasn't been seeing itself on screen. This is why Pose has the impact that it has. This is why, you know, we're seeing all these things begin to crack open. And I think that's all for the best. There are plenty of stories to tell. There are plenty of great parts out there. And there are lots of great actors. So actors should be trained uh, well, and courageous right and there. jump that's in. great and because that's a that was a, a strong moment, and I agree with you, and I hope people take that to heart. Kent, we're gonna have to have you back on the show again because it was so great to talk to you tonight. I would love to. Thank you so much, it. Max. We'll have you back. All right. So two All fellows, right. if you've never heard of this group, is Luca Sukut and Stefan Hauser. They both played the cello since childhood and have won many top prizes in the international music competition. Two cellos rose to fame in 2011 when they, won, when they released their version of Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal. Wow. Did you see that video yet on YouTube? It's amazing. Let's enjoy uh, another clip from their uh, album score. This one is the music from Cinema Paradiso, which won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film in eight, 1989, I was going to say 
Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. Tonight we're talking about movie characters living with diabetes and how these depictions impact our sense of self and our diabetes health. My next two guests offer their personal insight into the roles of both the mother and the daughter in Steel Magnolias. Welcome to the show, the founder of Glucose SOS Rapid Glucose Recovery, Pamela Haywood. Hello, Pamela. Hi. How's everybody? Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. And we have our Divabetic guest Facebook page administrator with us, Jessica Clark. Hi, Jessica. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. All right. So we should tell everyone right off the bat that you two are not related. But, Pamela, you are the mother of daughters living with type 1 diabetes. And, Jessica, you are living with type 1 diabetes and have been since you were five. So you just heard me talking to my friend Kent Gash about Steel Magnolias. Uh, and and these two characters specifically. I want to find out, starting with you, Pamela, about uh, how you saw this portrayal of the mother, because she is kind of a lioness, uh, Malin, in this uh, in in this uh, the role that Sally Fields created. I watched the movie last weekend to get prepared. Obviously, I've seen it before. Um, I needed. Uh, probably preparation H to put under my swollen eyes the next day. Um, It just brought back so many memories of what I dealt with, you know, having a three-year-old who's now 29 and a 12-year-old who's now 27 and has had children. So I've run the gamut. And um, watching Shelby sit in that beauty salon and have that, severe low blood sugar where she was combative almost to a seizure level. In fact, she might have been having a seizure. It brought back things that I will never forget in my entire life, watching your child suffer a near-death experience, and you know you have seconds, minutes, a minute at the most to save them, and you're pouring juice in their mouth, and you're pouring whatever you can, and they're fighting you. And you're praying that you bring them out of this. And when it's all over with, you don't wake up the next day and you forget about it. You almost develop something what they call now as, you know, PTSD, where you'll never get over that feeling. So as a mom, the way Sally Fields acted, I totally relate to her. Um, She was... You have to develop a thick skin to raise children with with diabetes because if you gave in to all your fears of dead-in-the-bed syndrome because moms never sleep worrying about that, Um, the low blood sugars at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night, they're not waking up, all these fears you have as a mom and, and you watch your children suffering and you feel guilty and you literally, at some point in time, they're like, oh, you know, I did my shot and my leg's bleeding. You go, it's going to be okay. We're going to be fine. And you almost turn into a robot because if you didn't, you would succumb to all those fears and you wouldn't be able to be a positive influence with them to continue their journey and to be their biggest cheerleader. So I understand right. how she, she felt. I totally understand. No, I think, yeah. All right. So, Jessica, you just heard 
Pamela's testimony. How did you react to seeing Shelby and then put it in perspective now as the daughter in your real-life scenario as well? Well, I actually, um, at 33 years of age, I have never seen the movie until this past weekend. Um, I'd obviously heard a lot about it and, and kind of knew the premise, but I'd never actually watched the movie. And uh, personally, this weekend, I dealt with some really bad high blood sugars that would not come down. So I, I totally agree. I had tears. My face was puffy. It was emotional. Um, there was two things for me that really stood out and that that low scene I just I haven't experienced a super low like that but it felt not natural to me um but I also have the other viewpoint of I had my tubes tied when I was 26 um sort of because of my diabetes so when Shelby talks about wanting to have kids and that desire even though I was the opposite end of it, I, I could relate so much to just wanting to be normal. But the most powerful point that I took back from the entire movie is in the end when they say that, you know, that's what Shelby would have wanted. She wanted one of us to come, you know, and be happy. And I've just, in all my time and experience with diabetes and with other diabetics is they are just people who always want to do for others. And it's almost like, because we can't be normal, we want to bring that normalcy to everybody else. We don't want to be the person that affects the room or what's going on. And so I just found it so poignant and just so neat to see that perspective of how it does affect everybody, whether we want it to or not, with the best intentions or not. And, you know, it might sound... I like to be positive about diabetes, don't get me wrong, but I do think that, for lack of a better term, they get sugar-coated, <laughs> you know, and, and people don't really see the struggles that we sometimes go to on that other side, and I can only imagine as a parent that that's terrifying. I mean, the points that are brought up, I, I just think across the board it did a really great job at showing others what our life is like and showing the whole experience through multiple people and family ties and it doesn't affect just one person and that we are in this together truly. And I mean, you said it earlier, but I just want to go back to this. Was it, I mean, it had to almost be, it just had to be an out of body experience for both of you to see your lives on screen, right? Because it doesn't happen every day. I mean, this movie came out in the eighties in the late eighties and I don't really uh, it's hard for me to find another movie with a woman living with type 1 as a central character. So, Jessica, I mean, isn't, wasn't it, what was it like just to see your life in some way on screen? Again, it, it was incredible. Not knowing the movie completely, knowing that it involved someone with diabetes, I expected that low blood sugar scene to be the end of the diabetes story. And I watched the rest of the movie, and about, you know, halfway through, I'm like, oh, dang, it's the whole movie and it blew me away to see somebody you know sort of our, our, every journey is different but sort of living what I deal with and to see it and know that people that aren't diabetics themselves and are not directly affected by it how much they love this movie it really tugged on my emotions to know that people had seen this and it hit them and it, we were there front and center. It, it was truly powerful. 
And you know, um, Pamela, I mean, Shelby says, I'd rather have 30 minutes of wonderful than a lifetime of nothing special. This mother is so self-sacrificing. I hear it in your voice, too. I mean, what was it like to see that woman portraying your life on some level on screen in in that way? Max, I wrote that quote down. I was going to share that with you. That was one of the things that hit me. And it, you know, there's everybody has type one. I have two daughters with type one, but there is a such thing as a brittle diabetic. And that low blood sugar episode I've experienced so many times. I can't explain the fear. I can't explain anything, but it brought back those raw emotions. And um, being a mom like that, you know, I, I, you know, that's where I, I developed my product to save their lives. It brought, you know, um, a necessity for me to make a difference in their lives and people, all people with diabetes. And still to this day, I've got, you know, a 29-year-old and a 27-year-old that's had two children. And obviously, you know, the, having children now and back then, it's very different. I have two very healthy grandchildren. But i got to tell you, when we were all in, you know, the waiting room and we're waiting on my first grandchild to be born everybody was rejoicing in the baby and I was like almost wanted to huddle in a corner of the room just please God don't let her blood sugar drop please let her manager drop blood sugar do this please 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 I mean you never get over the fear even at 29 if my daughter's husband's out of town I'll I'll respectfully text her by 9 30 in the morning and and if she doesn't answer I then text, I call her, she doesn't answer, I'm in complete sheer panic mode. Because how do you see, let I also go? know. How, how do you let go of the control? I mean, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but for both of you, like how do you, Pamela, as a mother, never. let go of, of managing your daughter's diabetes and then after you answer, never. Jessica, I want to know, like, how you take control I'm assuming your parents played an active role in your diabetes, but you'll tell us in a minute. Just reverse that when we, after Pamela finishes. Pamela, how did how did you let go of that uh, role on some level? I, She's I not gave even living birth to just yeah. I gave birth to the, these children. I brought them into this world. I certainly don't want them taken out before me. And I've had friends of, you know, of children. My best friend's nephew died at 21 of DKA on his birthday. I have horror stories, and it doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen. Will those fears ever subside? No. i tell you what, though. I'm super happy. They're looping now. They've got their CGMs. They've got their pump. They've, the pump that they have is so sophisticated. The technology is where... You know, it, it helps you know, if their blood sugar's high, it stops giving, you know, it, it, it stops but giving them. But was there a specific I mean, incident give, when you sat her down, either close daughters separately or together? Was there a specific time that you sat down and said, um, I don't know what you would have said, but this is short. You're now going to have to take, you're now going to have to manage. No, them. no. You never, no, you never I, had that conversation? No, I, um, when they got jobs, and they obviously were buying their own diabetic supplies. That's when that happened. But I, and I don't, I don't 
bring up their management with them. My my other daughter just actually almost went into DKA the other night and vomited for three or four hours when she was visiting my parents in South Georgia. And she told me that, and I'm like, why didn't they take you to the hospital? And she said, well, you know, my grandmother gave me a Dramamine. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I would have <laughs> – Thank God she she didn't go into full-blown DKA because my oldest daughter's been in it twice in a coma once for eight days. So you respectfully let them grow up, and you respectfully let them management manage it. You listen to them. You love them and support them. And you – but I'll tell you, the fear will never go away. And Jessica, what's it like for now? Now flip the script. What's it? What was it like? How how involved were your parents in your diabetes, and when did that change, or if it ever did change? Um. So for those that know me, this will come as no surprise. But I've been fiercely independent, stubborn, and bullheaded since I was born. <laughs> um, so I was diagnosed at five, and obviously, you know, you can't really care for your own diabetes. That's that young of an age but I mean probably from 10 or 12 on I was almost in total control of my care there was no handoff there was no talk I just kind of took it over Um, I was testing myself and my parents were always there and kind of watching over my shoulder and you know what I assume kind of happened was just that after so many times of seeing that I could do it and I could handle it, it just kind of, you know, it was on me then at that time. Um, and so I never kind of like you know you said I never had a, a handoff per se, but yeah, from a very young age I just kind of took it on, took my own interest, and kind of said I've got this. All right, so now I want to ask you um, a question. I'm going to um, end up with asking Pamela a question after that. So uh, Stacey McGill is the main character in the Babysitter's Club, and I feel like just from what you said, you would, you would actually identify with her. So this was a popular movie back in the 90s as well as a series of books. And in this, she's living with type 1 diabetes, but she blings out her insulin pump with rhinestones and probably wears her insulin pack around outside of her clothing to kind of show everyone that she is living with diabetes instead of hiding it. In the book, in the book she does go through a, a, a bout of depression regarding her diagnosis, and it takes a while for her to come out of, you know, break out of her shell and tell her friends. But in the new version of it that I think is on Netflix, they portray her as much more, uh, with it, much more with a new attitude. Did you did you look into this character at all? Have you ever heard of the Babysitters Club? Jessica? Yes, I remember. Yeah, I remember reading the books when I was younger, and specifically remembering that character come up. And I, I was not. I, I did not identify with my diabetes until I was much older. I didn't hide it per se, but I. I I did neglect care sometimes. I didn't necessarily tell friends. Friends knew. But I do remember when the book, when I read The Babysitter's Club in the series and I found out she had diabetes, I actually had a book report due for school. I believe it was fifth grade at that time. And I went, I know what book I'm doing. And that's the book I did, and that was the reason, and that's the book report that I gave to the whole class, actually. So, yeah, I have a a deep connection to that story and that series. (laughs) 
And, you know, Pamela, this kind of goes into your body. You pretty much blinged out a insulin pump when you created Glucose SOS. So tell everyone about the product you created because you really did come out as a mother with children living with type 1 when you patented this product that really does help so many people living with diabetes today. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just that I saw so many terrifying um, seizures and low blood sugars and the girls would turn to juice and candy, which is a different sugar. So that would, you know, that sugar, sucrose and fructose, has to be converted into glucose. So I noticed it would delay bringing their blood sugar up. They would overtreat the condition and their blood sugar would spike. And literally one day we were skiing. We're at the bottom of the gondola. And both the girls, of course, had breakfast and everything because the barometric pressure can affect your blood sugar levels. Mommy, were both low. And I just looked up at the top of the mountain. I was like, well, you know, I'd be darn, like, what am I going to send them up with? They didn't like glucose tabs. Juice would be cumbersome, you know, to make sure they make it back. And I just started thinking about really fast deliveries and what's powder because um, my product actually dissolves upon contact with your saliva, and it's absorbed directly into the buccal mucosa and directly into the bloodstream, but it, so it works really fast. And because it's the pre-measured amount, when you're in that panic state, you get exactly what you need so it doesn't spike your blood sugar. So I have, like, you know, close to 21, 22,000 followers on Instagram and my holistic family. And I'm, I feel very blessed every day that I wake up because I've given them this education because no one really knew that sugars were not created equally. Um, and they're, like, thanking me for saving their life, worked so fast, my blood sugar didn't spike. And, you know, they can carry these little packets around with them everywhere they go, in their pocket, wallet, whatever. And I can tell you this, I did not design this to be the number one go-to every time you're low. My girls sometimes want something different. But as a mother, I had to know that when they were around, walking around, going for a walk, going to the gym, whatever, they have their babies with them that they had something to protect them when they're low. And it's really funny. When I get in their cars, I see packets of glucose SOS laying around in their car. But the most amazing thing I witnessed with my own eyes just the other day in a video on my Instagram page, my daughter shared with me, my one-year-old granddaughter knew her mother was low, ran up to an area where she saw an empty packet of glucose SOS and ran up to her mommy and started dumping it in her mouth, like pretending she's putting it in her mouth because she's watched her mother do it so many times. And that was the most beautiful sight I've ever seen in my entire life. Absolutely. My goodness. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you for joining us. Jessica, you're going to stick around because we're going to talk to you a little bit about your role as a Facebook guest administrator. Um, and we'll be blogging about glucose that's last later this week. But thank you, Pamela, for sharing that story and the testimonial you gave about Malin tonight on our show. Uh, coming up, we're going to be talking to a registered dietitian about the 1997 film Soul Food, starring Vanessa Williams, along with our very own Patricia Adichentel. But right now, I'm going to play some Celine Dion. Not actually Celine Dion, but we are going to play My Heart Will Go On from the Titanic hit <laughs> I don't know why I love this song, but I just when I heard it, I was cracking up because I've been wanting to play Celine Dion. So here's the Academy Award winner for Best Original Song, composed by James Turner. We're going to see it. Sony Music.
on that. I have to be honest. But I, it was fun to play that song, and we're going to count down to Celine Dion on Dive's Late Night. I can't wait. Hey, until then, I'm Mr. Diva Bedek. Thank you for tuning in for the past 10 years. So proud and so happy to welcome back the author of The American Guide to Living Well with Diabetes, Eating Soulfully and Healthfully with Diabetes, and her newest book, Enjoying Foods of the World. Please welcome Constance Brown-Riggs. Hello, Constance. Hi, Max. Thank you, and happy anniversary. Thank you, and welcome back to the show. She's every month. We're so happy to have her, Patricia Addy Gentle. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Max. How are you? Uh, I'm great. And, you know, I mentioned earlier uh, that you and I have done, have shown Steel Magnolias at various outreach events around the country, and it does get a mixed review. What was your experience of showing that, uh, specifically the saying in Trudy's, uh, Truby's Beauty Shop, to the crowd because there were some really great takeaways that happened in that scene. Well, um, I recall uh, once we had um, one of our events and discussed that particular scene, a lot of, like you said, a lot of people really did not realize that diabetes was even involved. Uh, when they're saying, Shelby, drink your juice, it's just I don't know if they're thinking it's a treatment or just something that will help her snap back or whatever, but it was not recognized as a low blood sugar reaction and a treatment for the low blood sugar. Now, those who had um, have had a diagnosis of diabetes, a lot of those people were kind of concerned as to why are they giving her a full glass and why are they even trying, you know, she's almost in a, state of being having a seizure or being unresponsive and the juice is going to strangle her or that's not proper it's not appropriate that would not be the treatment at that particular time and the amount is not measured and so we had a lot of takeaways i've heard people who really um think that it's true to life and that it's proper and appropriate and on the other end of the spectrum, those who think it's totally inappropriate and misportrayed. Yeah, we did We did have a lot of reaction like that. All right, so now we're going to move on. Well, before we do, Constance, I'm going to ask you this, because this is a big point in this uh, movie version. Uh, Shelby does not have her uh, glucose monitor, and it's not her fault because it's in the 80s. And why was that? that she wouldn't have a blood glucose home monitor? Because it was in the 80s, and they didn't have them. Not, you know, everyone didn't have it. A, a lot of uh, people would use the, uh, as we called it, dipsticks to monitor their blood glucose at that time. So not everyone had the privilege of having a monitor. So that always comes up in other events, like, where's her blood glucose monitor? But the truth is, you know, that that's a that's new technology, people, for Shelby. Mm-hmm. So uh, imagine all the things that have come along. All right, let's talk about soul food. Constance, how did you react to seeing this depiction of the main character? We should tell everyone the matriarch of the Joseph family, Mother Jo, who is a force keeping her family together, suffers a stroke related to type 2 diabetes, and then falls into a coma after having surgery for lower limb amputation. How did you see this movie, and did you, and what do you think of the depiction? 
Well, I, I loved the movie because it was uh, so close to home <laughs> in terms of the soul food and the family dinners every Sunday and, you know, just the whole dynamic there was really um, true to life. And as far as Big Mama goes, um, she also was very true to life, being the matriarch of the family. She was more concerned about everyone else instead of taking care of herself, which, of course, isn't a big mistake. You need to take care of yourself as well as reaching out and taking care of others. But um, it, it really did resonate with me, the film, um, her having to um, have amputations also resonated very close to home. So I tell everyone I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to diabetes. I've, you know, had family members um, that have had amputation. And actually, that's one of the reasons that I went into the field of diabetes, becoming um, a certified diabetes care and education specialist as a result of watching the family suffer from diabetes. Of course, early on, when I witnessed the um, first amputations that, that I saw, I didn't quite understand. It wasn't until I got older that I was able to put two and two together and say, well, this is why it was their diabetes. Their diabetes was not controlled. This is why they had amputations. And, again, that's part of the impetus that drove me into um, working as far as diabetes is concerned. And also what I, as I say, um, my educational materials, my goal, my mantra is to shorten that cultural distance between the uh, African-American with diabetes and their health care provider, which is, you know, a lot of uh, the whole dynamic that goes into or that should go into that relationship, that individual understanding the culture. And part of that culture is the Sunday meals, the holiday meals, the big spread with all of the food, the laughter, um, you know, just that whole interaction and how important that is to African Americans as far as the culture is concerned and that whole family dynamic. So that's, I, I want to talk more about um, you create the soap food pyramid, and we want to talk about that in a minute, but I want to turn to Patricia and just talk about amputation for a minute, because it is so prevalent. The New York Times had a big expose on just how prevalent it is in the African-American community and how sometimes it's um, the first course of action rather than the last course of action. Apparently, there are 76,000 people with amputations, most often of leg or foot a year. Not all of those are related to diabetes, but diabetes is a big um, part of that regarding why amputations would happen. How did you see this, uh, Patricia, this, the, this role of the mother in the movie Soul Food and how they depicted the fact that she was having a lower limb amputation and how the family reacted to that? Um, looking at that movie, the family stands around the bedside and they are really actually discussing that family meal more so than their mother's condition. And so it's kind of like this is what's expected. Um, in the African-American community many times, especially in a family where diabetes is prevalent, a lot of people have that mindset that this is what happened to my grandma or happened to my first cousin or my auntie or whomever. 
and it's a normal progression. You know, maybe first they will amputate a toe and then a foot and then, you know, but they don't look at it as something that we can stop or something that can be treated and managed before it gets that far progressed. And so when you watch that family observing them in the movie, it's kind of like we sort of expected this or we are at peace with this or we are not really that emotional or I I don't want to say that they're totally detached because I'm sure there are deep-rooted feelings, but it's not the... um, um, just overwhelming, overcoming spirit of of dismay because it's kind of like what they expected. I have to agree with you. I mean, I want to ask you about this too, Constance. When you watch Steel Magnolias and this woman has an unexpected low blood sugar, which we just heard that Jessica and Pamela testified was a pretty normal occurrence in someone's life living with type 1, and it's like a five-alarm fire happened in Trudy's beauty shop. And then you watch Soul Food, and there this mother is in a coma after having a stroke, which I could testify is an incredibly haunting experience, much like what Pamela described. And yet they're arguing back and forth. And again, I'm not trying to rewrite the movie, but there is some truth to what uh, what Patricia is saying about this idea that culturally people just kind of assume some things are going to happen, and so they just kind of let it happen. And so for you to jump into the diabetes care field and become a registered dietitian, I just want to know, have you been, you know, have people kind of put a hand up and been resistant at first to what you're trying to do? specifically when we get to the food, too, about the idea like, oh, no, I don't want to tell her what I'm eating because you're going to take it all off my plate. I mean, how how do you see these things working together? Or maybe they don't. Well, it's true. They they do work together. Oftentimes, um, you know, many African Americans have what I call a fatalistic uh, approach, and they feel, you know, um, you, you have to die of something, and... Um, so, you know, this is this is my lot, if you will. This is what's going to happen. And so they want to eat whatever it is that they've been eating. They don't necessarily listen. They don't feel that's going to make a difference. Sometimes you'll hear the expression, you know, um, I have diabetes, but I'm not claiming it. And too often that statement means they're basically denying that they have diabetes. And my response to them, if I hear that, is that, you you don't have to claim it, but you do need to manage it. You have to take care of it. And you'll hear them say, well, I'm going to pray about it. But, yeah, you can pray, but you still need to take steps to manage it. You can't just, you know, ignore it. But so often that is the case. They have that fatalistic view. And a lot of resistance when it comes to, to food. And sometimes... I think part of that resistance with the food is because the the dietitian that they're seeing, the healthcare provider that they're seeing, really does not understand the, I'll say, traditional food, soul food. They don't understand the culture. They don't take time to try to provide educational materials that will resonate with the individual. They don't provide uh, culturally competent counseling and education for that individual. 
which again is what prompted me to um, develop a lot of the educational tools that I have in, in my books, thinking of individuals and their culture and how important that is. You have to address that in order to get people to make change. And when we talk about changing, generally it's small. It's small gradual changes. It's very difficult for anyone to just make a total change overnight. It doesn't work and it doesn't last. So a lot of it has to do with the conversation and understanding the culture, definitely. Yeah, I was going to ask you, is it because like we know an all-or-nothing approach around nutrition isn't really going to work, where take everything off the plate that you've ever eaten, and now I'm going to give you what you can eat. And so that's what led you into kind of going into these cultures, looking at the food, and then helping them make small changes to ultimately live a better and more optimum life, right? I mean, that is exactly. the secret of trying to make what my habits and family traditions are and put them into my new diabetes life in a way that still keeps me healthy and whole. Absolutely. We know diabetes is a chronic disease, and it's, you know, so they, they need to learn to live with it as they go through. And it doesn't mean deprivation in terms of their food. So we want to make sure we're incorporating those foods that they're accustomed to eating, show them how to fit that into the meal plan successfully. And Patricia, uh, spoiler alert, but I want to talk a little bit about this upcoming um, annual mystery podcast. The, the victim in our show has neuropathy. And in Soul Food, the scene prior to um, Mama Joe going to have the amputation and then having, well, I don't want to tell anything else because someone else might want to watch the movie like Jessica and Pamela watched uh, Bill Magnolias. All right, so anyhow, she she touches fire and she doesn't feel it. Her grandson uh, has to pull her hand away, which is the first sign that she might have neuropathy. And a lot of people who uh, listen to this podcast might not understand how lower amp amputation begins. They might just think uh, ultimately the life falls off. But it really does have to do with nerves and neuropathy. And so just explain a little bit of that process leading to a lower limb amputation. Uh, yes, it has to do with the circulation and with the nerves. And so when there is poor circulation or inadequate circulation to the lower limbs, and we know that the lower limbs suffer the most because they are furthest away from the heart, with the heart being the central part of our circulation. It's kind of uh, difficult for the heart to get enough blood flow down into those lower limbs once um, circulation is impaired. And so with diabetes, that often occurs because of the increased blood sugars and the narrowing or or the um, loss of elasticity in the vessels that carry the blood. So when you have poor circulation and those areas are deprived of blood flow, then you also can have the neuropathy, which is nerve damage, meaning that there is less sensation. So people who have neuropathy may often step on uh, object, a nail, or something, a piece of glass, they may cut their foot or get uh, something embedded in the tissue of the foot and not even realize it, just like the uh, character in our, in our uh, mystery podcast. She didn't realize that she was burned, so 
the same thing happens um, in that lower extremity, and there is no sensation or a loss of sensation or a lack of the normal sensation. So it's kind of like you don't feel it, you don't realize something has happened and that there is a problem, and eventually uh, death of the tissue occurs, and that's what leads to the amputation. Oh, thank you for saying that. All right, uh, Constance, I just want to go back to something you identified right at the beginning because I think it's so important in soul food and the portrayal of the mother who does everything for her family before she does anything for herself. You know, this is something in the 17 years of Evabetic when we outreach, you know, the idea of putting your health a priority is a big, big shift in mindset. So I assume when you're coaching uh, as an educator, as a dietitian, as well as just a certified diabetes educator, that this comes into play. Have you seen this? It, it, that was fairly truthful to me, but I'm wondering what, what's your feeling on that because it does seem like that is a very universal thing for a lot of women like Mama Joe, who are put, you know, their family's going through a lot of things. Suddenly, their diabetes takes a backseat. Absolutely, I'm continually educating. Um, people in that regard, that you have to take care of yourself. You have to make sure that you're managing your diabetes, and when you do that, you're going to maintain your health, and that's going to help you to help your family. And, you know, oftentimes they talk about taking care of the children, taking care of the grandchildren, and the question is, well, what happens to your child or what happens to your grandchild if you're sick, if you're in the hospital? So, again, it's, it's over and over again to stress the importance of taking the time to manage your diabetes, and then you can go on to manage everyone else and help them in terms of their life. But, and um, you walked you know, it off because a couple of years ago you jump-started a whole new fitness routine and you were posting every day about, you know, running and working out with your personal trainer. I mean, what was the inspiration behind that? Because that was like... You staged your own fitness revolution. I did. I really did. And a lot of that, again, goes back to the fact that I have diabetes in the family. I've gained weight. was under a great deal of emotional stress and, you know, just put the pounds on, not uh, at that time really practicing what I preach. And um, as I said, I, I thought about it and I said, you have to do something. This, you know, this, you you have to change. Your lifestyle has to change. And that's when I um, hired a trainer, and I decided I'm going to put myself, I think first it was a 30-day challenge, and every day I posted, you know, what my exercise was. I exercised every single day for 30 days. That was the first challenge. And then just lifting weights, and I found out that I really loved it also. I loved lifting weights. I loved working with the trainer and always setting a goal for myself. That was really important. And, to you know, once you overcome that goal, you, you meet that challenge, you want to set another one. And so I found out also by posting my workouts, which really I posted to motivate myself and hold myself accountable, I inspired so many other people to get involved and to start exercising as well. And it was always fun, too, when I was doing more than some of the younger people that were following me on social media. So that, that's another thing that gave me that much more of, of a lift. 
And speaking of listing, I, I actually, um, yeah, I listed a hundred. I did a deadlift. Uh, I think you saw that post when I did that. One hundred and seventy-five pounds deadlift. So um, yeah, I really loved it. I really did. And That's I tried awesome. to, to say, set an example for you know, set an example for my patients and. Oftentimes they would tell me, you know, all kinds of excuses, why they can't exercise, they don't like it. And I would tell them, uh, I'm at that gym, but it doesn't mean I'm liking every minute of it. You know, I'm like anyone else. I'm human, and sometimes I'm tired, and it's not always the best day, but I show up and I put forth my best effort. And, and that's all anyone can do, show up and put forth your best effort and set goals for yourself. So important. Love it. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and meet my final guest, uh, Mark Washington. But first, we're going to listen to more music by Two Cellos. They were the first instrumentalist to appear on the show Glee. Here is Francis Lay's Oscar-winning theme from Love Story, courtesy of Sony Music. Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. David Beck. I was just thinking of a young Brian O'Neill off the record. All right, my next guest was inspired <laughs> by his little sister living with type 2 diabetes to create a revolutionary new product called Munique. Please welcome to the show Mark Washington. Hi, Mark. Hello there. Hi, how are you doing, man? Thank you for joining us tonight and telling us all about... My pleasure, my pleasure. I, I do have to say, just because this is a common occurrence, we uh, pronounce it Munique. <laughs> so... Oh, what is it? It's Munich. Sorry. Munich, your... yes. Yeah, I'll get into the story behind it in a sec, but yeah, that's it. Well, because your sister's Monique, correct? My sister's Monica, and she was the oh, inspiration sorry. for Munich and for the name of it. No, it's perfectly fine, perfectly fine, because, uh, you know, for her, uh, describing her personality, she was a very colorful and unique personality, so Monica plus unique equals Munich. Well, you know, our, one of our earlier guests, Pamela Hayward, was telling us about how her experience as a mother with two daughters living with type 1 diabetes inspired her to create Glucose SOS. So I am, huh. I would love for you to share the story of how come your sister and your father, I think I understand it, uh, both yeah, of their health right. talents, uh, inspired this yeah. product. So tell us about, yeah. tell us a little bit about your family history. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, um, as uh, you're probably aware, some African-American and um, as is unfortunately too often the case, kind of growing up in a household and in a family uh, that is impacted by diabetes is uh, more common than not. <laughs> and so, so, yeah, it was just part of our um, experience as a family, both in our immediate family and in my extended family, that um, 
diabetes is always around the corner and like we've literally gone back and retrospectively kind of did a, a profile and over 50% of my family is either diagnosed with diabetes or uh, with pre-diabetes. Um, and so, yeah, it was definitely a part of um, our household experience. And, um, you know, we always used to have to stay on top of my father um, who, you know, would just not be on top of, you know, his blood sugars and, you know, both, uh, making sure he didn't get too high, or frankly, it was also more concerning when he would get too low, uh, go too long without eating and low energy, uh, uh, et cetera. So we had to had to watch him very closely. And then in adult life um, was when my younger sister, Monica, um, uh, uh, was diagnosed with diabetes. And so they lived in the same town, um, a small town in, in the middle of Ohio called Finley, Ohio. And so they uh, were each other's coaches, um, and they would – stay on top of each other's little competitions to see who was keeping in track uh, and keeping their blood sugars under, under control as much as possible. Um, and so, yeah, it was part of, you know, our lives and then specifically, you know, my dad, um, you know, is still living with diabetes and, and um, yeah. And, and diabetes was one of the multiple health conditions that, um, that my sister struggled with. Um, and uh, yeah, so describe Monica. Yeah. So she's my younger sister and, uh, yeah, full of life and colorful and uh, warm. Um, we'd say uh, she was hilarious, uh, even inappropriately so at times. But uh, she was definitely uh, lived life fully and did not let um, diabetes or her other health challenges sort of, you know, um, define her, right? So she lived life fully, but she, like so many, did struggle with her health. And so uh, she struggled with her weight. Um, like I mentioned, she had diabetes. Um, she had uh, hypertension as well. Um, and so there were a number of things that she had and, you know, was always trying different things to try to stay in control of her health, but nothing ever stuck or, or, or was really that effective. And, uh, and so tragically she passed away a um, uh, little bit over five years ago. Uh, so she had a, uh, a pregnancy a little later in her adult life. And it was, as you can imagine, given her health complications, a, a high risk pregnancy um, and due to, uh, the combination of the health uh, factors she was dealing with, as well as, you know, um, I, you know, we all believe questionable uh, health care uh, that she was provided. Um, she actually passed during childbirth. Uh, both uh, the baby uh, died and Monica died as well. And so, yeah, no, it, that was a little over five years ago. And it, you know, uh, it, it uh, affected me to my core and um, definitely caused a lot of soul searching um, in terms of why this had to happen. Uh, but then also thinking about it, um, you know, after, uh, yeah, continuing to do soul searches, what can I do? Um, especially taking my background experience and passion in the broader um, health and wellness industry and the fact that, you know, even with so many great products out there, um, it's not like we are solving the problem. <laughs> um, whether it's, you know, uh, the, the drugs and therapeutic path or the food and nutrition path, uh, yeah, lots of stuff to manage, you know, the condition, but nothing is really fundamentally um, helping people really get in control of their blood sugar. And so that really was my inspiration to to, to transition from a um, more of a, a you know, a executive that had partnered with other businesses and the entrepreneurs to help scale their business um, and to build a business by design that could ideally, you know, aspirationally um, really make a fundamental effect in helping transform people's health and the focus on hope and empowerment and trying to do it through nutrition uh, and with the first products that 
are very much focused on um, more effective blood sugar control. Yeah, you, it says in your literature, manage your blood sugars, insulin sensitivity, satisfy your hunger, and improve with weight yeah. loss. So it's a plant-based yeah. food to shake. It comes in many different flavors, which you're going to tell us about. And um, you tell us more about that because I've seen the testimonials on Facebook inside your community. Yeah. And I, I yeah. want to hear, yeah, our listeners want to hear about this. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So the pro- I'll describe the product first. And so um, we really started, like, with that big ambition and aspiration to help address such significant, you know, prevalent conditions like blood sugar control and insulin sensitivity. Like, uh, it was super important for me uh, that the product had to deliver on the promise. Um, and really, we started from a very scientific, you know, foundation. You know, my first hire was a, a Ph.D. food nutritionist uh, that had worked for me previously at a large um, you know, fitness and nutrition company, uh, Beachbody, that I was the president and chief operating officer uh, at. And we did, you know, really dug deep into the science and clinical studies with a focus around the gut um, and, um, and just how the, the research is showing how your gut, what's called your gut microbiome, um, is really the control center for your health. And it has such an impact across almost any health condition, you know, in your body, including kind of how your body manages blood sugar and your insulin sensitivity. And so a very direct tie with either preventing or managing, you know, conditions like diabetes. And so then we look the next step into what are the different ways that we can, you know, positively affect, you know, someone's gut to have a positive impact on uh, blood sugar control. Um, and so identified a special class of ingredients. That it's, they're called prebiotics. Um, many people have heard of probiotics. Uh, these are somewhat different. Uh, prebiotics are like um, essentially it's a type of a dietary fiber, but it's the type that bypasses your traditional digestion. And so when you eat foods that are high in these prebiotic fibers, um, they actually uh, um, yeah, bypass digestion um, and make it all the way into your gut, your large intestine. Uh, and that's where they do their magic. They feed the really good beneficial bacteria that are responsible for keeping you healthy. And if you feed them in the right way with specific prebiotic fibers, like the ones we have in Unique Shakes, uh, which is called resistant starch, um, those are the ones that have a disproportionate impact on it, improving your body's natural ability to manage your blood sugar. Um, and we're blown away by some of the research, literally over 300 different studies are viewing different types of prebiotic fibers that went into formulating our unique shakes. Uh, and so, yeah, so our shakes are, we call uh, balanced nutritional shakes uh, that are powered with uh, 15 grams of this prebiotic fiber, which is a really significant dosage. It's literally like half of your uh, daily recommended amount of fiber because um, we really wanted to deliver transformative benefits. Uh, but, yeah, we did design it into a shake. So it also is a full it, it can serve as a full meal replacement, so 15 grams of protein and vitamins and minerals, healthy fats, et cetera. Um, so one of the benefits of these prebiotic fibers is not only do they help transform your blood sugar, but they actually have um, a satiation effect, which is basically they help you feel fuller longer. And so when combined with the protein and combined with the healthy fats, that actually has a, a significant impact on sort of reducing your hunger cravings and keeping you fuller longer, which, you know, obviously also supports your weight loss goals as well. 
Um, and so, yeah, so these, we have uh, four different uh, nutritional shakes. We, have, we do have a plant-based version, a plant-based chocolate version that you mentioned. We also have uh, more dairy-based flavors as well of our nutritional shakes. And so, yeah, it all works through your gut. It starts there, but then it has these broader effects on, you know, both, frankly, your near-term blood sugar control. And the clinical studies show that it actually can have a significant impact on your long-term, uh, both insulin sensitivity as well as your average the blood sugar levels over time, your A1C, uh, if consumed at, you know, high dosages on a regular basis over time. And you're also building a community, we should tell everyone, because you are active mm-hmm. on Facebook, you posted the Facebook yeah. Live. So where, what's the ultimate um, idea behind it? And then tell everyone how they could take it, uh, they could find out more about your shapes. I don't want to pronounce the name yeah, wrong now. Absolutely. No, so, so, so glad that you asked, because when we, designed the business it really was about getting people results it wasn't didn't go into business saying we're going to design a shake um you know it happened to be that we wanted could deliver these transformative effects through a shake but it had to be a holistic solution um that people don't just need this healthy nutritional option to help you know empower and to you know being controlled their health and their blood sugar but also a community right to support of uh, connectivity so that, you know, you don't feel like this is something that you are tackling alone or, you know, kind of or advice and recipes and tips and uh, engaging not just with me, but with my full team. If you have questions about the science around what we're doing and around gut health. And a lot of these things are, are quite deep that um, would take, you know, an average person, a lot of research to try to figure out and read up on, whereas we've got you know, a team of experts, and we engage very directly and actively with uh, the customers and the members of, you know, what we call our unique lifers uh, community, uh, which is all about support and education and supporting each other and celebrating uh, success, answering questions, uh, et cetera. So it's, it's a really important part of the overall experience with Unique is to not just drink the shake, um, but to participate in our community and to uh, yeah, to really feel empowered and, and to, to, to support each other. So, Great. Well, thank you for joining us and telling us more about that product. Whenever we do a new product review and let our listeners know about it, we also turn to our educator, Patricia Addy Gentle, just to tell people when you find out about new products with, related to diabetes self-care, Patricia, what do you like to tell people? I always like to say that um, – before trying anything or, you know, do your research. Uh, make mm-hmm. sure that it is something that may fit into your regime. But most of all, speak with your physician. Talk with your health care mm-hmm. provider and make sure that it is something that um, is good for you or something that will work with what you have going on already. So, you know, sometimes there are complications. There are various complications with diabetes and other conditions whereas something that seems to be good might not be so good for other conditions that you may have a diagnosis of. So it's mm-hmm. just always good to run that by a doctor first. Great. Thank you. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to have the last word from all our guests. But right now we're going to play a little bit of the theme from The Godfather. Enjoy.
know, Michael Corleone in, in Godfather 3 has the symptoms of diabetes, and um, um, then his character dies of natural causes. But it's something, if you're looking into major movie characters with diabetes, that's a movie to check out. All right, we're going to do the last word with our guest, starting with our Facebook guest administer, trader, Jessica Clark. Jessica, you're running the Divabetic page on Facebook this week. Um, tell us a little bit about what you'd like to curate or share with our followers. Yeah, so I'm super excited to have this opportunity and be sharing this with all of you guys. Um, this week I want to talk about the real struggles that we all face, but also, you know, our celebrations and the positivity that we need to keep with this. Um, I plan on sharing some of my favorite things that are in my regime and that help me get by, and not even just diabetes-related, although at Divabetic, you know that I love my diabetes tech, which I will touch on, but I plan on sharing some songs and music that just keep me motivated, some of my favorite low-carb foods, um, and then the new thing that I'm so excited about, thanks to diabetic, that is thanks to Divabetic that has changed my life is my dairy meter because I can now carry a cute as heck clutch purse and I forgot. Yeah, we have to hear about we're gonna have you back to tell talk about the Dario um blood glucose monitor. You kinda of broke up there for a minute. Um but hold that thought because we're gonna to talk to Pamela for Hayward. Hey Pamela, you've been doing gluco you just shared so many great things about gluco glucose SOS. What's in the future for gluco uh, SOS? Are you coming out with new flavors or tell people how they could take advantage of finding out more about glucose SOS? Oh, yeah. Um, I just developed my third product line, and it's a freeze-dried version of my product, which, is again, my product's 100% all-natural. Um, but it is a glucose melt, and I freeze-dried my formula. It's very similar to the yogurt melt that Gerber puts out for babies. And um, I have a relationship with Trevidia Healthcare, which is the largest distributor of glucose tabs. And by the way, my kids never would use glucose tabs. So that's why I had to create, you know, different, um, you know, alternative sources for them because glucose is what feeds your brain. And I've already given the first round of the product, um, and they love it. So I actually intend on probably licensing that agreement with them. And they're getting the revised flavors this week. They're really cool, sexy flavors like banana, mango, peach, and pineapple cherry and apple cinnamon and again they're all natural but you just put them in your mouth and again they dissolve and they go into the buccal mucosa and directly into the bloodstream so that delivery is first and foremost the most important thing to me so it's, it's right. you know all right and Constance Brown Rigsby focused on soul food but you have a book out called enjoying foods of the world so what other Tell us a few other cultures, uh, food from other cultures that you focus on on that book. Okay, well, Enjoying Foods of the World covers 11 different cuisines. Um, um, let's see, what do, what do I have? Italian, which is common. Um, Moroccan, which is not one that you typically find in a lot of books. Peruvian, Thai, um, and all of each culture is looked at from the perspective of foods that are typically sound, um, not necessarily foods that you're going to get in your local restaurant. These are foods that the individual 
you know, their heritage foods and to show them how to fit that into the meal plan. So rather than saying, no, you can't have this, um, I may call it a, a healthy pleasure. So it's something that you would have on special occasions because maybe it does have a little more fat or a little more sodium in it. And I'm, I make suggestions on how to incorporate it into the meal plan. And so, um, as I said, I 11 different no, cuisines. Yeah. It's available on Amazon and also through um, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. All right. And, uh, Mark, you were hinting on Facebook Live that you might be releasing a new shake flavor. Is that true or false? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, we're you want to reveal it right now? I feel like we're iterate. on you and Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I'll give you guys some of that insider information. So uh, we, our next flavor is a vegan, uh, another vegan flavor. So we'll have a, a vegan vanilla uh, coming up here in a another couple months, um, and we're continuing to explore other uh, products in our blood sugar management platform, even beyond our current powder shakes as well. So lots of exciting stuff in the, in the pipeline. All right, and Patricia, uh, everyone's been telling me that you've been working with Judy Dench and Meryl Streep, hanging out, having coffee, discussing uh, your upcoming acting role in Tell Me Madam. What's, what's something from the script that you want to tell everyone about? Um, well, I want to keep everybody, um, mysteriously involved, and so I don't want to give away too much, but what I would like to say is that it is always better each year, and so with this being, um, I can't even remember which year, which number this is. But eight of our mystery podcasts, yeah. All right. And so, of course, if we have seven that came before, just imagine what number eight will bring to you. So stay tuned. Wait until September, and you will be in for a mysterious surprise. That's right. And I'll be rehearsing with you and rewriting that script. Uh, Patricia's talking about our one-hour radio mystery drama that will debut in September called Kill Me Madam. And uh, that will be what you're going to hear from us in September. Then we'll be back with a normal regular or regular Diabetes Late Night show in October. Hey, you can check out all those podcasts on Blog Talk Radio. They're available on demand anytime. You can listen to all seven shows. Plus, you can listen to the other 100 and I think it's 55 podcasts we've done over the last 10 years. And check out our videos on Mr. Diva Beck's YouTube channel. Remember, every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's stay happy and healthy together. So my final song tonight is a birthday wish to Itzhak Perlman, who turns 75 at the end of the month. This violin virtuoso is also a passionate advocate for the arts and people with disabilities. He is a wonderful daily inspiration to all of us. Sony Classics just released his first ever collection of Itzhak Perlman's complete recordings from RCA and CBS in a single box set, 18 CDs spanning the years 1965 to 2012. Here's two cellos performing the theme from Enjoy. Have a good night, everybody. Mm-hmm. 